good. Uh, but the question that we're looking at today is this question of how do I know that I'm following Jesus? And over this particular week, we've been looking at three different questions. The one on Tuesday was, why should I follow Jesus? And the second one was, why the lights get crazy? No, the second one was, what does it cost to follow Jesus? Today, we're looking at this question of how do I know that I'm a follower of Jesus? I think in this day and age, it's fairly easy for lots of people at various times in their life to be able to say, I follow Jesus. Now, you may have met people, perhaps who you went to school with, uh, perhaps you encounter people at university who, you say, who say to you, I'm a follower of Jesus. Uh, at that point, though, I think it raises some questions, because we're asked the question, well, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And particularly if you get two different people who both say, I'm following Jesus, but their lives often look a little bit different, and you're trying to work out, well, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? I thought I was following Jesus, but he or she says they're following Jesus, and we don't dress the same. I wear my EU shirt every day of the week. I wear my hoodie and my mission shirt and the EU beanie, and which doesn't exist. And, but my friend calls herself Christian and follows Jesus, but she never wears any EU material. So what am I missing? Maybe I shouldn't be wearing all the material. Maybe I'm just... Now, to an example, it comes out of sort of more serious examples. When you look at particular passages of the Bible that people may interpret differently. How do I know I'm a follower of Jesus? Uh, well, what I want to do is, uh, I'm going to start with a video, actually. Hello. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers in the South call you, hey Zeus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of dominoes, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger. <laughs> and of course, my red hot smoking wife, Carly, who's a stone cold fox. Mm. Also, want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Thank you, mate. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. It smells terrible and it all grows mm. father with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, uh, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and I couldn't pray no baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say the grown-up Jesus, or teenage Jesus, or bearded Jesus, or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good, so that God will let us lose now. Your time, Jesus. <laughs> Golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist. Paul was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo T-shirt. It says like. I want to be formal, but I'm here to party too. <laughs> I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band. And I'm in the front row. Hey, Cap, why don't you just shut up? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Beer, eight pounds. Six ounce, newborn infant Jesus. Don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant, so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Love that money. They've a crude over this past season. 
Also, due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mention Powerade at each race, I just want to say the Powerade is delicious. Cools <laughs> you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. <laughs> For all your power and your grace, your baby dog. Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither, neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. And Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, they belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the counsel of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you will be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. What I want you to do now is I want you to turn to the person next to you and try and answer this question. Uh, out of all that we've read, and perhaps for some of you that's the first time you've read a fairly large chunk of the Bible, and particularly this one where it's actually quite a fairly detailed argument at times, what is the thing that is most confronting to you about this passage as you read through it? What is the thing that is most confronting to you about this passage? Turn to the person next to you and share something. And I'll give you about two minutes. Oh, you might like to continue that conversation a little later. Uh, I want to spend a little bit of time now just looking at some of the issues that this passage raises about what does it mean to follow Jesus? How do we know that we're really following Jesus? Notice the first issue that's raised. Jesus explains to his disciples that he's leaving. And you would then expect them to say, well, actually, no, Jesus, please don't go. Please stay with us. But the question that Thomas asks is what? Look down there in the text. Thomas asks, what is the way? How do I know how to get to the Father? To which Jesus gives the reply to say um, that actually, if you know me, then you know the Father. This is the question that is being asked there. Oh, well, Philip actually, show us the Father in verse 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own, rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. So Jesus is committed to at this point in his ministry leaving. 
because he knows that his time when he will go up to die is very soon. And so at this point, he is giving his disciples an assurance that despite the fact that within the next few hours and days he will be killed, he will actually come back and they will see him again. See, he is going to prepare a place for the disciples. And in the context of the preparation of his departure and preparing a place, there is an outrageous claim that he makes, which may have been the one that you picked up. Where Jesus says there in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus here is making a claim for exclusivity. Jesus is not saying, take the best bits from what I've given you over the last three years, go and find the best bits of something else, and then put it all together, and you'll work out your own way to get to know God the Father. The claim that Jesus makes here, which at face value is an outrageous claim, I think. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For those who want to claim the name of Jesus and follow the name of Jesus, this is the claim that they follow. People who call themselves Christians say, that is the Jesus that I follow. Now at this point we need to say, well, why then should we actually follow this Jesus rather than Ricky Bobby's Jesus? Well, I've got a couple of reasons, but surely the first one is obvious. This is Jesus who is speaking. If you want to follow the man, Jesus Christ, then go and work out what the man, Jesus Christ, said. And if you want to follow him, then follow his words. Rather than working out what you think Jesus would have said, or working out an idea as to how you think Jesus may have lived. This is Ricky Bobby's problem, isn't it? I have in my mind, sweet baby Jesus. To which the others around the table would say, yes, but he did grow up. No, no, I like sweet baby Jesus. And if that's your view of Jesus, well, actually then I would suggest you're constraining and limiting him quite considerably. Or if you take the biblical accounts as historically reliable evidence, if you take that to be the case, then the words of Jesus are very confronting. See, Jesus goes on to speak about the nature of faith. And in this case, the nature of faith is trusting that the words of Jesus are true. Jesus makes two points with regard to whether or not we should believe. The first is, uh, where he says in verse 11, Believe me when I say. Believe the words of Jesus themselves. Because they are trustworthy. If you don't believe the words, at least believe, there in the last part of verse 11, on the evidence of the miracles themselves. In some senses, it's two witnesses to Jesus' claim to truth. Firstly, his very words. And secondly, the evidence of the miracles that he performs. Are the words of Jesus trustworthy? Are the words of Jesus reliable? Well, this is the text that you can apply to his words as you read the scriptures. What are some of the things that Jesus claims about him, and are they true? The biggest claim that is made about him is that Jesus, not only in this gospel but in other gospels, 
says that he will be taken up, he will go to Jerusalem, he will suffer at the hands of the chief priests and the elders, he will be handed over to die, and three days later he will rise. If none of those things happened, why would you trust his words? In fact, if none of those things happened, why would you firstly trust the claim that that would happen, and secondly, why would you then trust anything else the man had said? If at one point Jesus is shown to be a liar, it calls into doubt and question all of his other words. And yet the claim of Christianity is that the words of Jesus are true and demonstrated in two cases. Firstly, the evidence of the miracles that he performed, and secondly, I think, this outrageous claim that he will die and be raised to life. If Jesus was not resurrected, the claims of Christianity must be false. And so, how then do we know if we're a follower of Jesus? And how do we know if we're really following the Jesus of the New Testament rather than a Ricky Bobby Jesus? Well, Jesus goes on further to speak of how those people who trust him, how those people follow him, how they are to live and behave. And at this point, the words of Jesus do two things for us. Firstly, for those who are followers of Jesus, it gives an indication of what life will be like. You will know whether or not you are following Jesus. But for those who aren't following Jesus, or ask the question, perhaps, am I following Jesus, or should I be following Jesus, then the words of Jesus give us an indicator of what it would be like to follow Jesus. Let's look at a couple of them. The first issue that comes up here in the text is where Jesus talks about keeping or obeying his commandments. And so if you sit here today and claim the name of Jesus and say, I'm a follower of Jesus, my question to you is, are you following Jesus' commandments? Consider your life this morning. Have you followed the commandments of Jesus? Which point I'm sitting there thinking, well, I think so. I don't know if I've followed all of them. How would I know if this morning I follow all the commands of Jesus? Well, go and read the words of Jesus and work out if your life is acting consistently with the commands that he gives you if you claim the name of Jesus as a follower. But for those of you who may be sitting there either very clearly knowing that you're not a follower of Jesus or perhaps in some doubt as to whether or not you are following Jesus, the commands of Jesus act as a litmus test to show us what it would be like to be a follower of Jesus. Do you obey the teaching of Jesus? This is the question for us that we need to address. Now the second issue which I just want to talk about briefly is this idea where Jesus sends, Jesus says he will send another one. Uh, down in verse 26 uh, and verse uh, 16. Verse 16, verse, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. A little bit later on in verse 26, but the counsel of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus here is referring to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Now, often when we see this word translated as counsellor, what springs to mind? Counsellor, what springs to mind? Therapist. What was that? A leather chair. Anything else? Freud. Freud. Okay. Actually, the better translation of the term is actually 
advisor. The term here is actually referring to a legal counsel, not a therapist. Now the reason why Jesus is sending another one is because actually he is the one who will advocate on our behalf to God. So as we're followers of Jesus, if we're followers of Jesus, and we're in a relationship with God, at times we will do things that God is not pleased with. That's the nature of all of humanity. At times we don't follow God, even if we eagerly desire to. The Holy Spirit is the one who acts as our legal counsellor in many respects on our behalf and intercedes for us between us and God. And at that point, if we've not been following God the way we should, God forgives us because of the death of Jesus on the cross. Now, for those of you who aren't followers of Jesus, the idea of having someone dwell in you seems really quite a bit freaky. Um, the Aliens movie? Not really a good example. The Holy Spirit doesn't take on some weird alien parasitic form who slowly eats all your organs and... No, we need to think in terms of relational terms, not just in terms of biological terms. What this is saying is the Holy Spirit is given to us so that we're included into the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This perfectly intimate relationship that exists within the Trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I think what's going on here is the fact that God gives us His Holy Spirit who indwells in us means that actually... We have access into this relationship. We have an intimacy that we can now know the Father and the Son as we are known by the Father and the Son. If you'd like to ask me a question on that one later, please feel free to do so. Uh, what else do we see for those who would be followers uh, of Jesus? Well, one of the other things we see a little bit later on, if you read through, is that they're loved by the Father and the Son. Loved by the Father and the Son. And you might be someone who is not a follower of Jesus. And this idea of love may be something actually very foreign to you. But for the Christian, the follower of Jesus, this is something that actually provides great security and great comfort, great joy and great hope. A little bit later on, if you read through John 15, we will see that those who are followers of Jesus know they follow are followers of Jesus because God bears fruit in them. They produce a life which is consistent with the life of Jesus. Let's consider for a moment what this would look like. I consider your morning over the last four or five hours. You woke up. Well, let's presume that you are a follower of Jesus and a not a follower of Jesus, and let's sort of run a little sort of. Oh, there's a movie which I've never forgotten the name of. Two sort of two parallel mornings. Sliding doors? Yeah, thank you. That one. <coughs> this might merely be as uh, nuanced as sliding doors, but you get the idea. Uh, the follower of Jesus is one who, in every aspect of life, having been brought into relationship, seeks to now live, think, feel and do all that is consistent with the teachings of Jesus. So what does this look like? Well, you know you've agreed to meet a friend and you've given your word, the alarm goes off at 6.30 because you've got an hour and 15 minute travel to get to uni. And at that point you can either go, oh, don't worry about it, and hit the snooze button and go back to bed for an hour. An hour later, the alarm goes off again, and you think, actually, I did commit to a university degree and a class, but, hey, I think I've got better things to do. So you drag yourself out of bed, and you put your Xbox on, and you sit playing that for a couple of hours, and eventually you get into university. 
As you get into university, you meet one of your friends who actually was a little bit sort of nasty to you a week or so ago, and so you really had a go. And you just let rip. After that little confrontation, you head off to class. At some point along the morning, you end up here in this lecture theatre. Now, I know that in our lives, some of us might live like that. I testify that at times I did snooze bar and go back to sleep. But what would the life look like if actually you were a follower of Jesus? What life would look like is actually you would be true to your word and commit to that which you said you would do. It means if you agree to meet a friend, that you actually turn up and meet them. There is a faithfulness exhibited there that probably wouldn't have been exhibited as much or perhaps as often prior to you being a follower of Jesus. Just because you're a follower of Jesus doesn't mean you can throw your Xbox away and call it the work of the devil. <laughs> but what it does do is it means you're actually much more careful and thoughtful, firstly, about the games you play, the people you play online with, when you play it, for how long you play. If you've made prior commitments, the Xbox doesn't get in the way of it. As you walk past your friend who made the rude comment the other day, instead of just having a go at them, you think carefully to think, what is the most loving thing I can do for them? And at that point, you may actually have to go and apologise to them because it was your thoughtless action in the first place that made them have a go at you. The followers of Jesus are committed to a certain lifestyle which as they become followers of Jesus, becomes more and more like the life of Jesus. Okay, I'm going to take some questions and then I'm going to finish up. Let's see, we've got a couple of questions already. The first one is, am I following Jesus or am I doing whatever a book tells me to do? Nice question. Am I following Jesus or am I doing whatever a book tells me to do? There is a certain truth to the fact that Christians follow what it says in the Bible. Because in the Bible we have a reliable, historically accurate account of the life of Jesus. When we read the Bible and we read the words of Jesus, it's not as if they were the words of Jesus, as if this is sort of vaguely what Jesus said. They are the words of Jesus. Do we have every single word that Jesus uttered? No. Do we have words that Jesus spoke as recorded by the eyewitnesses who were there who were heard him and recorded them faithfully? Yes, we do. And so the Christians believe that the way in which you follow Jesus is you let him speak to you through the words of the Scriptures. This doesn't mean that we exclusively only read the New Testament because actually the Old Testament tells us a lot about the character and nature of God and his plan for the world and why he sent Jesus. So those who follow Jesus don't just, I know that some of you may have Bibles which have coloured letters in them, followers of Jesus don't just read those words exclusively and excise all sorts of other parts of Scripture, but the debate about the canon of Scripture will have at another point in time. But no, we do read the Bible because in it we find the words of Jesus. Now, another question, how does it look today for a Christian to ask for anything in Jesus' name and receive it? What does this mean when it comes to praying for the salvation of those around us? Why do some people that we ask for get overlooked? 
Okay. I've got 30 seconds. There's about three or four issues in that question which I can't address in the limited time that I've got. Can I say that? Notice when you read the text carefully, it doesn't say that whatever you ask for, you will be given. So if you've been praying for a Ferrari and it's still not there, there's a reason for that. Firstly, because you've not earned enough money to go and buy it. That's the main reason. But notice what it says, if you pray for anything in my name. The prayer of the Christian is one which is prayed consistently with the will and intent of God. How do you know what the will of God is? Well, we read that in the Bible. Is it a good thing to pray for other people? Absolutely. Is it a good thing in this case to pray for people that they become Christians? Yes, because it is acting consistently with the will of God. Is it true that some will be saved and some won't be saved? Yes, it is. We're praying in accordance with the will of God, but it is God's decision ultimately as to who will be saved. Okay, in the last three or four minutes, I'm going to conclude. I want to conclude with uh, how I think the Bible describes being a Christian, and this picks up some of the stuff that we were talking about earlier in the week. And as I talk about these things, some of these may resonate quite strongly with you, particularly if you're not a follower of Jesus. Firstly, the follower of Jesus recognises that by ourselves we are spiritually blind. And that Jesus is the one who opens our eyes and enables us to see by our Father who made us. Now perhaps if you've been coming and hearing about Christianity and what it means to follow Jesus either this week or over the last couple of weeks, this may be something that is becoming more apparent to you. Secondly, the Christian understands that the death and resurrection of Jesus enables them to be brought back into a relationship with God. Would you say that you're in a relationship with God? Do you have a confidence that the relationship with God has been established? A Christian makes a commitment to a relationship and the initial commitment to a relationship with God to follow Jesus involves what the Bible calls repentance. A turning around. Instead of going one way, you turn around and go the other way. And the Christian life is one which is marked by ongoing repentance. Initially, by entering into a relationship with God the Father through Jesus, you turn around and make a commitment with God's help to stop living a life which is opposed to God, but rather live a life that is for God. And on a daily and weekly and monthly basis, the life of the Christian is marked out by continuing to live the way and obey the commands of Jesus. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, have you turned away from a life of walking away from God and are you now walking in a way in which God would have you walk? Because of God's complete and perfect love for all of us, both corporately as humanity and individually, He forgives us when we've been walking away from Him. The forgiveness found only in the death and resurrection of Jesus. The Christian is one who accepts that forgiveness and recognises the great cost that God, the Father and the Son had to bear in dying on the cross to restore us into relationship. Perhaps this is something that in some small way you are longing for. Perhaps this is something that you've recognised but would like a deepening experience of, this love of God in your life. 
However, the question does remain, doesn't it? Will you recognise that God is offering you free forgiveness? And will you accept it? And commit to live a life with the help of the Holy Spirit in your life, which is then pleasing to God. And finally, the Christian recognises that following Jesus is about a relationship. It's not about a structure of legalistic obedience. It's not about a spiritualistic or metaphysical exploration. It's about a relationship between the God of the universe, which means that following Jesus is about relating to him on his terms. What I want to do now is I'm going to pray a prayer. And there may be some people in the room who, for the last couple of days, perhaps maybe for the first time today, would be interested in becoming a follower of Jesus. Because the words of the New Testament and the things that we've been saying over the last couple of weeks have brought you to a point where you recognise that you've been walking away from God and would like to change and walk in a way which is consistent with the teachings of Jesus. For some of us, we need to pray the prayer actually being more thankful to God for what he's done for us in Jesus. I'm going to pray for you now. I'd like to close your eyes and back. Father God, I recognise that I've not lived my life following Jesus. And for this I'm sorry. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross and rose again and that you forgive my sin because of his death. Thank you, Father, for the privilege and opportunity to be forgiven. Father, thank you that you will adopt me as your child. Father God, please help me to live a life which is pleasing to you, a life which follows and is obedient to Jesus.